Welcome to Finance Feeds Podcasts. Finance Feeds is the world's premier interactive Forex industry news source, providing the latest insights and current affairs from within the online trading industry worldwide. Enjoy our latest podcast episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Finance Feeds Podcasts. This is episode 25. My name is Nikolai Isayev. I'm editor-in-chief of Finance Feeds. Joining me today is Jonathan Baumgart, who is CEO of Atomic Consulting. Jonathan, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Nikolai. I appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome. Jonathan, it looks like you and I have similar professional backgrounds, having worked for competing retail brokerages in the U.S. in the early 2000s, with you at FXCM and myself at Gain Capital. Um, I know that you later went on to Boston Technologies as well. I'm sure some of our listeners already know you, but for those that don't, can you tell us a bit about how you've progressed within the industry up to today as CEO of uh, Atomic Consulting? Absolutely. That's a great starting point, and thank you again for having me here. So for those not familiar with all of my background, I you know cut my teeth in the early 2000s at FXCM, I was in their office in New York, subsequently Dallas, and around 2010, I helped launch their office in Berlin, Germany. Around that period, I decided that I'd been in the retail side for quite a bit. I saw an opportunity at Boston Technologies, which you know was started by a former FXCM colleague. So it looked like a good chance to expand you know, my knowledge. So I jumped there and Around 2010, 2011, I spent about three years. And at that point, I decided I had seen both sides of the industry, the retail side, and then at BT, which we, you know, which we often referred to it as, I got perspective on liquidity, on the tech side, and everything else. Mm -hmm. So I felt I was well-rounded enough to you know, give consulting a chance, try things on my own. So I kind of unofficially launched the company in 2014. And it took a little time before we really had traction. You could say it's been almost a decade that I started doing the consulting work. I began around this period doing IT. I was in Poland. And this was around the period that ESMA took place, which unveiled a, a lot of changes in Europe with regulations that many people may not even realize if they're kind of new uh, to the industry. Mm -hmm. So back then, there was a massive opportunity in the offshore licensing space because ESMA scared a lot of brokers. And you know I was kind of in a right place at the right time to start promoting offshore licenses. And a lot of people might say, ah, oh, come on, putting everything offshore, but it's just... The reality is, as much as Europe wanted to you know, regulate and, and I think make things right, from my perspective, they went too far. And so a lot of the business during that period went offshore. And now it's just kind of understood or a standard that you know any major broker will have a variety of jurisdictions. And for those who want the higher risk, well, they go to the offshore you know, wing or entity of the broker. And this, I think almost all the established brokers are set up this way. And I happen to be, you know, right in that place around that period. So I went from offering IT to jumping into licensing. And that is the majority of what I do today. 
uh, and I kind of cut my teeth on the offshore licensing, and there's still plenty to do outside of offshore, but a lot of the demand still takes place there. And I will just make one clarification. It's not always islands. You have regions like Malaysia, like South Africa, that kind of fall somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. So we're not limited just to one part of the globe or a certain area. You know, we do basically licensing everywhere. So that was a that was a, a really big experience. And from that, we then got into the M&A space in the FX industry, which is you know, there's there's always you probably you know here here's a new broker they have licenses one gets sold you know this this company goes out or gets acquired so we often help you know brokers who want to sell or on the other side of the the token if a company is looking to acquire a business we always have at least three or four companies and if anyone has seen me on LinkedIn I'm often uh, promoting those so during this decade or 10 years, I was able to build up my network so that at this stage, you know, we're able to, you know, help clients on both sides of the perspective, sell a company or find a potential company to acquire because of this vast network that, you know, myself and partners have built. So that's uh, just a quick summary of what I've been doing on that side. And then the final piece is I'm an independent director in a company called FDC Tech. They're providing FX technology, you know, a Forex platform that's standalone, meaning it's independent of any third parties. It can be leased. It can be acquired in the sense of the source code. So I'm also a director in that company and basically helping to promote and helping them grow as there's very steady demand despite market fluctuations and everything for retail effects trading. And I think in the years to come, there'll be more and more exposure to, let's say, companies that are outside of MetaTrader. So that's my role there. So it's basically promoting this technology, the licensing, and mergers and acquisitions. That's, in essence, what I'm up to now. That sounds great, Jonathan. It, it seems like you said, you know, you were at the right place at the right time years ago. It sounds like you're at the right place at the right time still today, <laughs> considering considering what's happening on the trading platforms front within the industry and also what's happening within corporation licensing and regulations as well. So I'm glad to have you on the show today. Well, let's start off a little, a little bit globally from a global sure. perspective. Uh, do you think that it is still true for our new brokerages? Uh, access to banking and SWIFT customer funds management is still the key driver in choosing uh, which license to acquire these days. Or are there many other implications as well today that are that take precedent? For me, the situation with medicals comes to mind that took place earlier this year. Yeah, absolutely. I would say the, the number one focus of any new broker is banking. And it's because all their competitors have it. So if you're a startup and you can't provide deposit facilities to your client, you're never going to get far. I mean, it's such a competitive market. However, things have really changed because when I you know, formed the company 10 years ago, it was so easy back then just to set up some company and anywhere you had your choice of different islands and many banks were willing to work with you. This isn't 
a recent phenomenon, but as each year passes, it just becomes more and more difficult if you're an unregulated company to get banking. So that's the number one consideration is from my perspective, if you are unlicensed, I think it's almost impossible to run this business. Mm -hmm. There are some companies that do it. They offer only crypto and theoretically that can work. But any serious investor, any serious trader is going to look at that and say, I'm sorry, but you're not financially sound or you, you, you're not serious enough if I can't even wire you funds. I mean, if I'm going to, if I'm a high net worth individual, why would I ever even consider your company? And then where are you licensed? So the barriers to entry have definitely gone up. And, you know, this has been a, a, a challenge for startups because, as I said, it used to be much easier. Now you absolutely have to have a license. So not only do you need it to get a bank account, but as you alluded to, the barriers to entry have gone up for technology. So, you know, MetaTrader is very much market you know, leader in terms of technology. Everyone knows that. And their criteria have gone up. Mm -hmm. uh, they, you know, similar to the startups, used to be uh, more flexible when it came to using their technology. But now it's basically impossible to work with MetaTrader unless you have some kind of financial license. So I, you know, I think this is positive for the industry in the sense that you know, now companies are becoming regulated. There is some uh, financial authority that is overseeing them. Mm -hmm. However, the days of you know, launching a broker from you know, your basement or doing some kind of uh, you know, stereotypical startup that's just not possible you have to bring a lot of money to the table because regulation by default requires money and so you most likely need an investor or you have to pull funds together this can't be bootstrapped like like it was in the past but I'll, it's worth repeating i think that's better because that tends to weed out a lot of the bad apples that have given the industry in the past a bad name the, you know, regulation is all about transparency and there's no way if you get a license that you can hide, you know, problems that, that you or other directors may have. So overall, I view it as a net positive, although that means that it, like I said, it is tougher to get into this industry than it was previously. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It sounds like today it's really quality over quantity in a sense. And I wanted to ask, so uh, yeah. you had mentioned, I mean, at the end of the day, it's still banking. And I would venture to guess that because banking is still the number one criteria, right, that a, a mm -hmm. broker needs access to, they're going to basically come to you if they do come to you and say, well, in terms of banking relationships, I guess which, which jurisdictions or which licenses are easiest to get, but which ones are the most robust in terms of banking options. Am I correct in understanding that? Yeah, I mean, because the biggest challenge when it when it comes to the licensing side is there are just so many jurisdictions out there and can become overwhelming. I mean, theoretically, there's maybe 30 to 35 places you, you could consider getting a license. However, each of these regions has specific criteria and it's it's very much bespoke. We have to talk to the, you know, to the client and understand what they want because often it is more than banking. But from a larger perspective, even with that said, if it's a new company, the amount of options they have available 
diminishes quite a lot because many of even these offshore regions do not really like to entertain startup companies that even in the regulated space, mm -hmm. it's quite difficult to get banking. You can get a license. That's not a problem. But a lot of people often when they're looking at licensing don't understand that the authority which issues the license does not have any relationship to the bank. They're tied in the sense that almost every region requires capital. So of course you need a bank account, but they, what people don't seem to understand is a regulatory authority will be happy to issue a license, but that doesn't mean the local banks, at least in the FX industry, are willing to play ball as well. So it really requires the expertise of a company like ours to help you, you know, find out the best region. You know, going back to what I mentioned, if you're an established broker, if you have regulation in Europe, Australia, you have a lot more options available to you, mostly due to the banks, that there are certain offshore regions that are happy to work with you because they can expect a large deposit. You're also part of a regulated group. If you're a startup, it's too high risk for them. Even for a place that's, that's offshore, which might be a surprise to some, a lot of these jurisdictions don't want to work with the startup company, even if they're granted a license. Uh, there, are, you know, there definitely are areas available. That's what our team can help out with. But it really narrows down the field in terms of those, let's say, 30 to 40 options. It ends up being just a handful. I would add, though, that in, in addition to banking, it's also the permissions that the license grants. There are some excellent regions, like Labuan, Malaysia comes to mind. It has some of the best banking out there, but they do not offer market-making permissions. And for a lot of these companies that are startups, that's really sought after because they see you know, the, the opportunity in managing their own book of business. Mm -hmm. So often these discussions you know, become quite specific or the client has to you know, very carefully weigh their decisions because on the one hand, they can get the banking and that's great, but then the license doesn't give them the flexibility that they want in their mind to properly conduct the business. Mm -hmm. So I always mention the you know, fast, quick, and cheap, it just it never happens with, with licensing. There's always a series of trade-offs that the client has to consider, even if they are one of those large brokers and they have more options available. Every region has one trade-off or consideration that you need to think about. And that's why it's a, it's very subjective when you, you look at licensing. It's definitely not one size fits all. So we like to talk to the client, kind of find out what their objectives are before we present a specific offer to them. Mm -hmm. Wow, sounds really interesting. And hopefully in our later on in our discussion, we'll get a little bit more into depth into some of these regions and you could speak more, sure. uh, speak more about the, uh, the trade-offs. I wanted to move on and talk about St. Vince, mm -hmm. Vincent. It, it's been a popular mm -hmm. jurisdiction for many years. And earlier this year, brokers papered an SVG, if we could call it being papered, um, learned yep. learn they would need to prove licensing elsewhere to maintain their SVG registration. I believe that that was the formal request that came from the uh, lo local authorities there. At the time, I heard a lot about Comoros as being an alternative. And I wanted to ask you, Jonathan, what, what's your take mm. on this whole situation as it stands today? 
And are there really any alternatives to St. Vincent registration? Sure. So the St. Vincent was probably the biggest news in the regulatory side in our industry. The main reason that St. Vincent came about, it, it was just the most cost-effective place to launch a broker that didn't require a license. And, and that is the important part, that most of the offshore areas that you'll hear about, like Seychelles, BVI, and we can discuss them in a little bit, all of those areas require formal licensing. So you can't launch a broker in BVI without being approved by the local regulatory authority. But St. Vincent was a place that didn't have regulation for licensing. So by default, you could register a company. The local authorities were okay that you were offering you know, CFDs and, and other types of products without them formally licensing you. There's only a handful of places in the world that offered it. There are some alternatives now. They tend to be a little bit more expensive. And that's why no one looked at them because St. Vincent just became for years, this default place that everyone was you know, domiciling these new startup brokers. There were companies that had licenses, but it was kind of the de facto startup hub. Mm -hmm. And that is, it was a major blow to, to brokers when that happened because similar to what I, I mentioned previously, the, you know, the barriers to entry have gone up. And even a place like MediQuotes, when, you know, when this came about, were very aggressively cutting off these companies that you know couldn't prove that they had the licensing or couldn't adhere to the the changes. So it was a it was a major game changer. Going back to what I said, there are places we put our clients in St. Lucia if they want something like that. Mm -hmm. However, it's the way I mention it is you're not going to get banking. It's a starting point, and I would strongly recommend applying for a license in conjunction with getting a company set up because it's only going to get you so far. But if you wanted some place to register the company, that's the kind of the new de facto, but even then you're not going to get banking. So it can only go as far. And as a result of all of this, suddenly out of nowhere, this whole Comoros uh, debacle came up, which is what I call it. Mm -hmm. Now I've, the best rebuttal I've heard about Moros is people have said that it's part of a Mowali, if I'm if I'm saying that right, and they have autonomous islands. Comoros is one of them. Therefore, Comoros can do whatever it wants. However, now we're going to get into kind of the weeds of regulation. If you go to the central bank website of Mowali, they have a list of different registrars that have been promoting this license and they've basically said no this is actually not real this is completely fake and so unfortunately they're to try to meet the demand of what happened with St. Vincent a lot of firms began pushing Comoros as a place to get a license I stand by the opinion that Comoros is not real it's just fake I blame consultants. I've gone on the record, by the way, saying it's fake. We've never sold it. I've been approached by not startups, but you know, reputable brokers, regulated ones, asking me to do it, and I still said no because we just don't like to offer something that doesn't add any value. And I continue to stand by that because I don't know any bank in the world, going back to the whole you know hot topic of banking, I don't know any bank that would take a Comoros licensed broker. 
So why should anyone, whether you're a startup or a broker with you know more access to capital, why should you shell out upwards of 20 to 30,000 euros for what I consider to be a glorified PDF? Mm-hmm. Now, if someone can tell me there's banks that work with it, and actually you know the central bank has changed their mind, I'll also change my opinion. But I have yet to see any evidence, and I felt Comoros was a way that other consultants were trying to meet this demand of licensing because the the truth of the matter is everyone wants fast quick and cheap and you just you can't find it in the licensing space by nature i mean regulators tend to not move very fast but for good reason because how can any legitimate regulator approve a company in two weeks it's just not realistic now i wish they were faster but you have to accept that if you want to get a, a proper license experienced individuals need to review all aspects of the company beforehand and that takes time and that that is the value that I see in licensing mm-hmm. so to just get Comoros in two weeks call yourself a licensed broker come on you know it's just not realistic so we'll we'll have to see if something changes you know I've even gone out and said look if anyone wants to debate me I'll go on video and tell my arguments and you can tell me why you think Comoros is better, I would be happy to do that because I'm quite confident in my view that it's more or less just a a glorified PDF. Mm -hmm. I see. And Jonathan, uh, this other jurisdiction wasn't necessarily on our list to discuss today, but because we spoke about Comoros just now, I wanted to Mm -hmm. ask, could you comment a little bit on Dominica, which is, again, another one of these, I, I believe, islands that is popping up now i've seen at least one company promoting you know come and get licensed in dominica with a banking relationship tied to it in other words the firm that i saw promoting this said you know there's an opportunity to be licensed in dominica and by having that license there is an opportunity to get a banking relationship with a local bank there as well i don't know if you can comment on that Sure, I've I've heard of this. My to my knowledge, and I always preface my answers because things change quite quickly, and sometimes I don't see what the the news or the changes. But to my knowledge, Dominica does not have any type of FX and CFD regulation. My understanding is they only have banking regulation. Without looking at the offer, I'm assuming someone is offering a sub-license of an existing banking license Mm -hmm. and saying, hey, our bank is willing to work with you underneath us. And there's probably all kinds of terms and conditions and other things, but you can kind of piggyback our banking relationship and use it as your own. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Sure. When I think of the Caribbean, which we just discussed, Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of other jurisdictions come to mind, Bahamas, BVI, and the Caymans uh, again because I see mm-hmm. I, because I see some large or medium-sized players like you said that have licenses in many different jurisdictions also have licenses in some of these countries. Do you think that these jurisdictions present an opportunity for setting up shop for retail? Uh, again, we know that banking is a big implication, but I'm also thinking of things like capital requirements, reporting requirements. Uh, so, some of these islands probably require you know, opening up a local office with local staff. Sure. So these are some of the regions I was alluding to in my my previous answer. 
And they fall, I would say, in the category of being interesting to a broker that at least has a license in Europe, a, a license in Australia. I don't like these, people often refer to them as tier one. I don't like to put licenses into these categories, but I think if you have a license like that, you could explore any of the regions you mentioned, but I do not find them to be the best options for startups. Mm -hmm. Basically, every, every region you outlined will require a physical substance, meaning an office, but that I don't think is the biggest obstacle. Banking is definitely one. It goes back to what I mentioned, that BVI, for example, our team theoretically could help you get this license. But from our experience, the, the banks tend to be not as cooperative if you're a startup. BVI came in the places you mentioned, because they're, well, they're more well-known names, if you're a startup broker and don't have an established track record, for even if it's an offshore place, which might come as a surprise to some, the bank looks at it as too high risk. So these areas aren't the best for a new broker. Bahamas, by, by default, I would not recommend because the regulatory authority wants $45,000 every fiscal quarter, which is an enormous sum of money. I mean, you, you <laughs> what startup can really uh, afford something like that? However, if you're a, a broker flush in cash, maybe you want to get a Bahamas license instead of sponsoring a football team, you know, because just to show off. Like I like in Bahamas to an Aston Martin or, you know, insert a famous sports car. You know, if you want to show off, that's great, but it's, it's not ideal. And the other reason it's, it's not ideal for startups is after all of the, the fees and everything, the, on the payment side, if you want to offer credit and debit, you know, PSPs basically, the fees don't change from jurisdiction to jurisdiction because it's offshore. Meaning if you have a license in any of these areas, the fees that you'll be charged don't change versus some of the others we would recommend. Like what we recommend to our clients, if you're a startup, would be a place like Mauritius, which is far more friendly to what I'll call a startup broker. But basically the banking access, the fees are the same. And besides the name, there's really no material difference in what you get. And I, I would say that name recognition does play a role, but I think it's more important for a broker that is perhaps a bit more mature, has licenses in other areas, then you can get the, the Cayman or the BVI. But if you're just a startup, you can essentially achieve the same thing, bank account, offshore regulation payments, but it's a fraction of what you would spend and it's easier to get. The final point that I'll mention is all those regions you outlined tend to be slow. And I want to sound like I'm contradicting myself. I think, you know, I, I mentioned you have to have a certain period of approval, but all these places take a while. Baha uh, Bahamas, I think actually isn't, but Cayman and BVI for certain are very long periods to get the license approved in my opinion, too long. So on top of all those drawbacks, you also have to wait too long when effectively for a few other regions, you can you can get what you want if you're a startup broker. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. And uh, Jonathan, you had just mentioned uh, Mauritius and that leads me to my next question. You know, I wonder on the other side of the world, right? Besides the Caribbean, we've got jurisdictions like Mauritius, Seychelles and Vanuatu. I think we should also obviously include Labuan here as well, because I, 
believe it fits into this geographic area. I was going to ask, you know, again, implications for hiring staff locally. But I think for me, the question is, you know, these islands or these countries don't necessarily seem like they have the populations to be able to hire a local qualified staff, right, to, to meet the needs of established companies or, or startups. I guess, can you talk a little bit about uh, this area of the world? And I believe you mentioned that Labuan is actually a very favorable place right now for a startup broker. Yeah, absolutely. So these fall more into the line of regions we would recommend, even if you are an established broker, mainly due to the ease in getting the license, a more amicable time frame for approval. In terms, so to address the first question, in terms of staff, that is always a challenge. Seychelles is an area that stands out. I would find of all the regions that you mentioned, it's the most difficult to find qualified directors there. They can be found, but that makes Seychelles a more costly region. They also happen to be more slow compared to the other ones you mentioned. Finally, what we're seeing happening is some proposed changes that haven't taken place, but they're you know, making some hints at what will come down. But even right now in Seychelles, if you want to target clients from a region that you didn't initially provide the regulator, they will ask for a legal opinion. Mm -hmm. So we're not a huge fan of Seychelles. I still think it's good for the right broker, but not for startups. Mauritius, Lebuan especially, I think are good examples because both of these regions are looking to grow. And to briefly go back to what I mentioned about you know, Cayman, BVI, they're not necessarily interested in growing this aspect of financial services. I think they are more interested in being banking hubs for large multinationals. Whereas Mauritius, Lebuan basically want to target this kind of business. Lebuan, for example, also offers crypto licensing and they're really looking to kind of grow their reputation as let's say a fintech financial services hub. Mm -hmm. So they do require a physical presence, but the director requirements are quite low because they just want to grow this aspect of you know, their economy. So they're not requiring you know, directors that have these long CVs of finance. They just want to increase you know, revenue into the country. That's why Lebuan is, is very similar to the Dubai tax-free zone. It's a specific part of Malaysia that's designated for all these financial services. And that's why we think it's favorable because their interests align with you know, the client that they want to offer the license as badly as the client wants to get it. Mm -hmm. Mauritius is very similar. That Mar Unlike other offshore areas, Mauritius really wants to be a fintech hub. So they also offer crypto licensing. They offer uh, payments licensing, you know, similar to an EMI. It's a little bit different, but you can not just get FX there, but also other types of financial services. Because once again, they are you know, kind of pre presenting themselves to the world as a fintech financial services hub. Mm -hmm. They want the business. And so that means 
It's easier to get the license approved. The regulators are more friendly, albeit strict. You know, they are more, they are strict. Mm -hmm. That's something that people often misunderstand is they often think, oh, come on, Mauritius, mm -hmm. how, how strict can they be? They will find <laughs> problems for sure, but that's good. You know, that's why I like regulation. You'd mentioned Vanuatu. Vanuatu has really changed. They definitely upped what the requirements are in the past year and a half, two years, but I think they've, they've gone overboard and they're an example of a region that I think does not have the capacity to service the, the demand. And we've had some experiences with, with clients where it took an exorbitant amount of time, like way too long for basic replies to messages for status updates. So Vanuatu, you know, it, it's gone back and forth. People used to view it as a joke. We offered it for a while when we felt it, it had a reasonable time period for approval. But we feel now it just takes too long. They do have a local substance requirement. And I think they got a little ahead of themselves and didn't realize how much extra work it would be when they asked for something like this. And it's become basically a massive bottleneck to get anything done there it takes too long so uh, it kind of narrows if you're a startup the 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 two areas i wish to really highlight would be leblon and mauritius for all the reasons i mentioned mm -hmm. wow very interesting jonathan i i guess in, in terms of timelines you had mentioned you know mm -hmm. people should not get their hopes up in the sense that a, a jurisdiction that someone might have an impression of being easier to get in terms of a license people need to really understand and manage their expectations with respect to the timelines and how long it takes to fulfill all the application requirements review requirements you had mentioned some jurisdictions will want a legal opinion of sorts and things like that mm -hmm. in general what would you say to someone who is looking to again start up a forex cfd brokerage in terms of possible timelines that they should expect uh, we're talking we're not talking about months here we're probably talking about uh, a time period that's longer than a year am i correct it can it can be less but realistically to get everything fine-tuned i think a year is probably what it takes mm -hmm. because even with the even if you have all the paperwork lined up in any of the regions i mentioned the absolute shortest period is, is, let's say, five months, not counting that once you get the license approval, it'll be at least another two to three weeks to then get a bank account approved. Mm -hmm. So, And that's under the perfect circumstances. But keep in mind, if you're applying for a license, you need a lot of paperwork before that application can start. And from our experience, that document gathering period by the client takes at least a month. Documents need to be order, uh, notarized, CVs, reference letters. It's rare that someone has all of that just on their hard drive ready to go. Usually it takes a bit longer. However, what I always recommend, you know, given everything I mentioned earlier about banking and all the challenges, let's say you're a startup broker. I think the best path to begin is to work under an existing broker as a referral agent, you know, referral agent, affiliate, there's various terms for this. Because then you can start the marketing, you can start the sales cycle. It's not as lucrative because you, it's still not your broker, 
but you can at least begin and kind of get a few of the steps in place before you officially go on your own. And then you don't miss out because even if it takes, let's say, five months, we know in this industry market volatility is you know, where it's the most profitable. And you can never say when might be a, a volatile period or not. And you don't want to sit there and wait for your license to be approved before you jump in. So I always advise you know, those who are startups to consider a partnership with a broker in the beginning, get all that lined up. And then once you have the license and everything, you can just take growth to the next level. It's a shame to sit there and wait for all the regulation to happen, the bank accounts and everything, and only then, because even if you were to take that approach, okay, great, now I have my license. That, yeah, it's a competitive industry. Just having on the bottom of your website that you're regulated in this region is not gonna bring flocks of traders to you. You need to already have some marketing and something in place beforehand. The regulation helps them make the decision to go with you but they need to know about your name and your branding. And a lot of that can be done before the regulation. Going back to St. Lucia, you can get registered there temporarily, start the process, refer clients over. This is kind of the roadmap that I outline to clients. Do they always want to follow it? No, but <laughs> my, from my experience, this is, this is the, the, the best path forward, considering that of all the assets out there, time is always the most valuable. Mm -hmm. Great. Thanks for those generous uh, uh, insights. Absolutely. Jonathan, so to finish up, I wanted to ask you a personal question, which is something that I ask really sure. all of my uh, podcast guests. I think you'll agree with me when I say that our industry is very tight knit and reputations matter. And, you know, for me, often in speaking with industry colleagues in private, we reflect on sort of in rudimentary terms, good guys versus bad guys sure. that we encounter in our everyday roles and lives and, and business. Since you have a lot of industry experience, can you give our listeners some tips on how you would go about evaluating a possible business relationship or establishing an industry connection, so to say? Sure. To me, it's all about transparency. And I, I can only reiterate that this happens to be such a small industry that I'm always bumping in to someone who I know indirectly through someone else. And in a way, I know we've talked so much about regulation because the industry is so small, it tends to regulate itself from reputations and, you know, because there's a lot of industry events and if you want to show up and walk around and shake everyone's hand, but mm -hmm. there's some things that happen to you. I mean, it's, it's going to be very difficult. So in a way, because our, our industry is so small, tends to have its own reputation enforcement. Uh -huh. Now there's always going to be like spats and, and things be, you know, between people. But I think that transparency is number one. So if, if it's a new entrant, if it's, let's say uh, someone you've never heard of a broker, I always believe in transparency. So if it's a consulting company, you know, I like to be very public. I have a YouTube channel. I go on the record. I've, you know, anything I mention, I like to put my namesake behind. If you're thinking about other consulting firms, that's why I even mentioned on Comoros. I, I think that a lot of the companies that are promoting it would be afraid to put their face on there knowing what it is. That's a very specific example, 
But if you're deciding on a consulting firm, if you're looking at them, a lot of them, you don't know who the owners are. You don't know who is behind it. It's just a website with stock images of, you know, uh, law books and, and other things. Who's behind there? So transparency is, on, is always the way. And so also expos. Do you see these individuals at expos? Do other people know them? Are they shaking their hands? Can they post something on LinkedIn and there's not negative comments about it? So I think, you know, everyone kind of has an idea of who people are, but if it's a new entrant, that's the way. And for me, if it's a partner, if it's something I'm considering, I always like there to be an introduction from someone else I know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't want, I don't want people to get the impression that because it's a tight knit industry, everything is closed off. But if someone is coming in and they're new, I would want to know what their background is, where have they been. Usually people start at brokers. They make experience there and then move on to other areas, similar to what we did. If someone comes out of nowhere and you've never heard of them before, I don't know. I'm always a little bit suspect. And, and the last thing I would say is despite technology, despite the fact that we have this podcast, I just think face-to-face -face meetings tell you everything, that when you meet someone in person, you can have a, a sense very quickly of who they are and what they're about and just use in, intuition. And you generally, if something doesn't feel right, I think then you know. And the final point I can make on that is, well, try to work with them. Try some business mm -hmm. and try something small. Then you'll <laughs> then you'll know very fast, you know? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you're saying go with your gut. Um, try to meet the person yes. physically, uh, or at least via online an online meeting. Technology has advanced so much, you don't necessarily need to be physically face-to-face, -face, but in terms of having a call or a Zoom or uh, a Google Meet to, uh, to, to really explore what the person is about, who the person is, and things like that. Yes, and when I've talked to other colleagues, when we've made mistakes, I've, I've, if, if I were to evaluate my gut instinct on choices, a few times I was very wrong, mm -hmm. but I would say the times I didn't trust my gut, I regretted it, and I would always go for the gut feeling because I found that tends to be right, like 80-20, mm -hmm. basically. A few times, and I tend to focus only on the times I was wrong and not on the times where, oh, yeah, actually, my gut told me no. I went for it, and then I got burned. Mm, you know, so now I tend to. I guess it just comes with experience and age. But I, I, there's no science. I'm not a scientist. I can't say why, but that intuition, I always feel, is the best guidance for me. And the times where I didn't go, I get mad now because I said, "Oh, come on, you should have known that." Right, right. I completely agree with you. I feel the same in terms yeah. of you know my experience as well. So kudos, kudos to you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, Jonathan, I think our time is almost up uh, today. I wanted to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know you've got a lot of things going on work-wise and family-wise uh, to speak with us. It's a pleasure to uh, get your insights on many of these different regions, uh, on what Atomic Consulting does and how you help market participants gain the upper hand on their regulatory and lic licensing matters. We wish you the best of luck uh, towards the end of the year. Happy holidays, and we hope to speak with you again soon. Thank you, Nicola. I very much appreciate it. Have a great holiday, and we'll be in touch. Absolutely. Thank you, Jonathan. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.
Thanks for listening to our latest Finance Feeds podcast episode. For sponsorship opportunities or to become a guest, please email us at info at